Hello and welcome to BSI and to today's webinar, How Does a Progressive Health and Safety Culture Build Resilience? Welcome, uh, welcome to you all and thank you for joining us here today. My name is Charlotte Brodie, I'm the Global Head of Marketing for the Built Environment at BSI and I'm delighted to be joined by Kate Field, our Global Head of Health, Safety and Wellbeing. And with a health and safety career spanning two decades, Kate started her career first as a regulatory inspector and then moved into policy, where she led initiatives to tackle workplace health risks. Kate has several years of consultancy experience in securing, developing and delivering health and safety programmes for a number of international clients. And she's authored regulatory and technical guidance, written articles for a range of publications. And I'm delighted that she's our global keynote speaker and presenter. So it's great to welcome you, Kate, and I'm really looking forward to today's session. And moving on, to explain a little bit about BSI, many of you will be familiar with BSI as the UK's national standards body. We have a strict governance around our business streams and we are incorporated by Royal Charter. Our product portfolio is extensive and we support clients globally through standard shaping, whether this be British, international, publicly available specifications or bespoke standards, and providing technical support and guidance from our knowledge solutions business. We also provide assurance, training and certification services to help clients embed and demonstrate best practice through the adoption of standards. And we offer consultancy. So moving on, our purpose is inspiring trust for a more resilient world. We help to shape and guide innovation through improving and standardizing business processes, products and services to enable advancement. We're independent and we're free from any outside influence as all profit is reinvested into BSI to help us continue to support further change. And we work constantly to serve industry and strive to find new ways and solutions that enable organizations to survive, stabilize, rebuild, and be resilient. Moving on, I'd like to firstly quickly recap on our focus areas and, uh, and how these relate to the structure of the built environment. And this slide captures our mission. And you can see a simple graphic showing how we support, support clients across the entire breadth of the built environment asset lifecycle. And we are focusing on four key areas where clients may be facing challenges and where we can help. Digital transformation, regulatory and health and safety well-being services, sustainability and supply chain and procurement. So I'd now like to welcome Kate uh, and we'll begin um, our, our session. Lovely. Thank you, Charlotte. Um, and welcome to everybody who's joining us today. We've got a, a lovely turnout, so thank you very much. Um, so in today's session, there are two key areas that we're going to be covering. We're going to look at organisational resilience um, and the and the kind of, if you like, the building blocks that, that make up that um, resilience. Um, and then we'll explore what a positive culture means um, and how those two elements um, interact with each other. And all being well, there will be the opportunity for some um, questions and answers at the end of the session. So um, I really would encourage you to submit any questions that you do have um, so that we have the opportunity to, to pick those up at, at, at the end. Um, so we're going to, as I say, start um, by looking at um, resilience. Um, but 
before we get into the detail, um, we'd like some, some input from you. Um, so it's a bit of audience participation um, and our first poll and I'm going to hand back to Charlotte briefly um, to uh, explain the poll and, and what we'd like from you please. Thank you Kate. So uh, on a scale of one to five what we would really like to know is where you rate your organisation's resilience um, and the scale that you can choose from is essentially one where um, you believe your organisation is not resilient, and five, where you're at the top end um, and you believe your organisation is highly resilient. And we've been running um, these through other webinars today and had some really interesting results. So I'm hoping that uh, we'll have um, some similar insight from people uh, taking part um, and really looking forward to seeing what people have to say about it. It's a topic that we're very keen on at BSI and you'll hear a lot more about it um, as, uh, as we move further into today's presentation. Um, I should also say that we have uh, a number of handouts for people who joined us today. You'll find those also on the right-hand side of your screen. Um, please do download them. Um, essentially, they both look at ISO 45001, which is the international standard for health, safety and wellbeing. Um, and please do uh, grab a copy, share them with colleagues or other interested parties. Um, we'd love for other people to, uh, to benefit from them too. So thank you to everybody for taking part. I think um, we'll now uh, take a look at those results. Um, and I can see that uh, no one has said that they are not resilient, um, but the majority of people at 43% have placed themselves right in the middle. Um, at number three, uh, followed by uh, number four, where 37% have said that they uh, are, you know, at the top end. And then right at the top, we've got 10% of our audience today have said that uh, you are or your organisation is resilient. So thank you very much for that. Really interesting results. Um, and I'll now hand back to Kate. Lovely. Thank you, Charlotte, and and thank you for everyone for for taking part. That that's really really interesting. I mean, I think obviously uh, resilience is something that's been tested um, very much at the moment. So it's really interesting to see how you are feeling your organisations um, have performed given given the need for resilience in the current uh, COVID nineteen uh, situation. So, why is resilience so important? Well, I think it's important. It's important to understand that there, there's been a mind shift actually in, in terms of looking at organisational resi resilience. And there often is a shift in attitudes and behaviours um, and patterns of demands associated with, with major, major disruption. Um, and we have seen that, I think, um, you know, really brought to the, to the fore um, in terms of the current situation with the pandemic. Um, and organisations need to, uh, discern, adapt and shape to the, the emerging reality of kind of the, the, the new situation. But I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting at, at the moment is that we don't actually know what the, the, the new will be. We're still in kind of um, the next reality, the next phase, as opposed to the new phase. Um, and that's likely to continue for, for some time. But already we can see that there is this, this shift that is already happening. And 
as part of that, many organisations will be looking to rebalance their priorities in, in the coming months. And it's, it's this move, this pivot from crisis management um, through to a more innovative and agile one. So this move from a very transitory, just kind of getting things done and trying to almost survive on a day-to-day -day basis and work out what's needed to actually looking at the, the opportunities coming uh, you know, that may be available and looking at a much more transformational approach. But one of the things that is, is clear uh, is that with this disruption, with the COVID-19 pandemic, there has been this shift change in terms of where um, resilience is seen in terms of the importance within an organisation. And it's, it's, it's raised up the scale significantly. And now resilience is, is seen as uh, as important as, the, you know, the overarching strategy for the organisation, as, you know, the cost and efficiency drivers that all organisations have. You know, resilience is, is now on a par with each of those. And I think that's important to understand. So we could keep talking about organisational resilience, but actually, what is it? So BSI did some work back in 2014 um, to, to develop a framework um, on, on what organisational resilience looked like. So brought together um, a panel of experts to develop that. And they, they came up with this definition of organisational resilience. And it's the ability of an organisation to anticipate, prepare for, respond and adapt to incremental and sudden disruption in order to survive and prosper. So I think it's useful to, to look at that and break it down um, into its elements. So what is a, as an organisation? Well, an organisation is, is made up of um, four key elements. So it's the, it's the leadership, it's the people, it's the processes and it's the product service, you know, what your organisation does. And it's important when we think about organisational resilience to understand that an organisation is made up of these different um, uh, elements. So what does the prepare, respond, adapt to incremental and sudden change uh, disruption mean? Well, that's the, the managing of in terms of plan, do, check, act. So the, the framework that so many of our organisations are familiar with, you know, actually the, the if you like, the day-to-day the, the -day activity um, and looking at the, at the, the future opportunities. Um, but it goes a step beyond that. It goes, it goes much towards, towards horizon scanning and looking at those um, challenges and opportunities that could be coming much further down the line. And they can come from a number of different areas. You know, this is so this is where your mechanisms around um, PESL will come in, you know, not just looking at, you know, what might change in terms of your own products, for instance, but actually what might happen in the wider um, environment or political situation that might have an impact. And all of that comes together um, into survive and prosper. And in simple terms, that's will you exist in the future? And of course, underlying that is if we do exist, 
what do we what do we look like what does that mean for us so that gives us a, a definition and a better understanding of what actually organizational resilience is and as, as part of kind of progressing this um, development of uh, the understanding about organizational resilience BSI undertook some um, research with Cranfield University um, and they came up with um, this tension quadrant and it's something that I I really like um, I think as a as a risk professional it, it really spoke to me um, and you know hopefully uh, we've got a number of risk professionals you know make you may be health and safety you may be quality you may be resilience um, you know you may be finance whatever it is we you know we are all dealing with risk and the the tension quadrant is this split between behaviors that are defensive so about stopping bad things from happening and those that are progressive which is looking at making good things happen as well as between the you know behaviors that are consistent and those which are flexible so you you end up with this this quadrant um and i think the the thing to understand um uh, with organizational resilience is that you know the organization and the leadership need to manage the the tensions between uh, each of those four elements and recognize that they they will move and they will flux in different directions you know it's not going to be static and as part of this and why it's related to risk is the risk perceptions and attitudes of the the organization the leadership are really important here because if you're too risk adverse then actually um, you risk the long-term survival of your organization because you're stopping the ability for good things to happen um, because you're being defensive and you're more likely to be in the in this consistent or fixed kind of view um, and therefore you won't have the ability to be you know agile and innovative um, and adaptive to situations as, as they arise but on the other side if you're if you're too liberal with your risk tolerance then that's likely to impact your short-term survival so it is about finding this balance between each of these four elements to ensure that you you have um, and develop resilience for your organization and then in terms of starting to to look and break this down into the elements that make that up we've already talked about the organization is is made up of these four elements leadership people processes and, and products but within the the organization there are domains or what we call subject areas um kind of that overarch that so there's there's the operational aspect of, of the business so you know the if you like again coming back to kind of the the day-to-day -day and what goes on but we're also there'll be supply chain um, you know um, up and down the supply chain so you know before your organization and then after and you know if we if we think about the the built environment sector then those supply chains can be hugely complex um, and then there's a, a domain around information um, you know there's a huge amount of information that organizations need and have um, uh, in order to generate the knowledge um, and 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 in order to operate um, uh, but also for for the other elements in in terms of particularly starting to look at those those tensions um, and what the opportunities and risks might look like um, and then just to sort of finish the kind of the the complete model 
of organizational resilience and, and the framework. Under each of those um, four categories of, of the organization, there are 16 specific elements. Um, and you can see that, that under leadership, we've got actually leadership as an activity, but the vision and purpose, reputational risk, financial aspects and resource management. Under people, we've got culture, alignment, awareness, and training, stakeholder engagement, process governance and ability, uh, accountability, um, business continuity, supply chain, and our information knowledge management. And then under our product and service element, we've got you know horizon scanning. So you know what's going to change, what's going to come through, um, innovation, um, and adaptive capacity. So that ability to to change as things come along. But what's important to understand about this framework is it's, it's like all it's all frameworks. It's 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 broken down into these elements so that we can start to understand what a you know resilient organization looks like and, and what elements um contribute to that resilience um but they're all interlinked um it is it's much more like a, a spider's web um you know and a really good example of that is is culture you know it sits under people but actually um you know people is the leadership as well and the leadership drive culture. So that's a really simple example. So they are all interlinked, you know, they're, they're not um, individual components, but it's useful to think of them and understand them as these elements, because then it helps us understand where our strengths and weaknesses are in terms of each of those elements to help build resilience. So one of the things sort of that BSI does, having developed that framework about what organisational resilience is, is, is go out to organisations every year and, um, and, and survey them to see where they are um, against those elements. Um, and it's, so it's our organisational resilience index report. And our, our last one from 2019, which was completed before COVID-19 happened, um, had some really interesting insights actually. So you can see the, the the one on the on the screen in front of you that says our findings reveal a clear organizational resilience perception gap, a significant mismatch between the elements business leader leaders believe shape organizational resilience and the perceived performance of their organization. So this mismatch between what's what is believed to be needed for organizational resilience and actually how organizations think they're performing against those. And that was borne out in, in, in another element in, in terms of a finding that the ability of businesses to adapt to change had fallen for the first time since we've been doing the um, doing the survey. And I think that's really interesting, you know, even, even before we um, hit the major disruption that is is the pandemic actually there was a um a nervousness about the resilience of organizations and 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 concern that that resilience wasn't as robust as it could be or should be and i think the other thing that's that's worth bearing or sort of pulling out there's lots of brilliant nuggets um in there but the other one that i've i think it's it's worth um bringing out and particularly in the context of, of what we're talking about today, which is people and, and culture, is that, um, you know, um, strong leaders are needed to uh, create that um, adaptive capacity, um, you know, so that that ability to make to make the most of changing conditions. 
but what sits underneath that in terms of the skills of those leaders is really effective engagement with workers and clear direction um, of of activity for, for the organization. And those skills were starting to be seen as, as more valued, more, more highly valued than what we might think of, of, of sort of maybe more traditional business or leader skills in terms of innovation um, and business acumen. Um, so that's, that's worth bearing in mind because I think that gives us a good indication that actually organizational resilience is around people and that's our our hint so having had that really brief inter introduction to a kind of more structured approach to organizational resilience and, and and what it looks like um we'd like to ask to ask you to to revisit your your school scores um from the the first poll so charlotte um i'll hand back to you for this second poll please Lovely. Thank you, Kate. So, yes, uh, having uh, heard the uh, the organisational resilience uh, structure, the approach um, and all of the, the different elements around that, uh, we would love to know, um, having listened to that, where would you rate your organisation um, now? Has anything changed? Um, are you uh, are you still happy with where you were or um, do you think things have shifted slightly? So one being not resilient and five being highly resilient um, and uh, looking forward to seeing if uh, the results and thank you again for people who are um, taking part in this it's always great to hear what our audience are thinking and um, uh, and just to get your your insight uh, and we've been running this uh, poll um, throughout the world today actually I would say uh, started off in APAC this morning um, then uh, we had another session mid-morning and now we have our afternoon session so um, we're trying to reach all corners of the earth uh, and uh, I'm hoping that uh, we'll we'll have some useful results so uh, perhaps we could ask um, for those actually before I ask for those results to be launched just to say we've got a couple of handouts um, on the side of your screen there so if you're interested in uh, the International Standard for Occupational Health, Safety and Wellbeing. Um, have a look at those. They are useful and uh, yes, please do download those. So let's have a look at those results. Um, and uh, yeah, interesting. So uh, we've seen um, slight difference. So now um, the top score is uh, people scoring themselves at number four. So just under five being highly resilient. And that score is 44%. Um, and then quite close behind that at number three is 42% of people who've answered today um, have, have placed themselves in the middle of the resilience kind of scoring options. Um, we still have nobody who says that they aren't resilient. So that's, that's good news. Um, and then the people, people who uh, perhaps were um, saying they were highly resilient, which I think was 10%, uh, has dropped slightly and gone down to 6%. So there has been a slight shift. Um, so thank you everybody for uh, for sharing those results. And I'll, I will now um, hand back to Kate for uh, the next session on culture. Lovely. 
Thank you, Charlotte. And again, thank you, everybody who's participated. That that that's really interesting. So we have had some some uh, organisations feel that they they are maybe less resilient under understanding what a, a framework and the elements that make up resilience are. Um, but we've we also saw an increase in terms of organisations uh, uh, becoming more resilient. So um, that you know it's shifted in both both directions, which is really interesting. So thank you um, very much um, for participating. If you do want to find out more um, about the, the framework that I've talked about, do visit our website. We have a, a number of free resources there. You can um, There's a white paper. You can download the research paper that I mentioned, which is, is really interesting. Um, you can download the, uh, the index reports. Um, so there's lots of free information. So if you, if you want more, then do go and visit our website. So moving on to uh, look at um, culture and, and creating a positive culture um, within an organisation. So I think what, you know a good place to, to start is, um, as we did a little bit with organisational resilience, is well, what does it mean? <laughs> Um, and it's you know it's interesting. It's, it's another one of these these terms that you know uh, has lots of different definitions. There was um, a very well known study. It's quite old now, um, back in the 1950s, and they did a, a you know looked at what how, the definitions of culture. And I can't remember the exact number, but it's, it's something like 192 different definitions of culture, um, which you know makes it challenging when we're trying to understand what it is. Um, and how we can improve it within our organisations. But actually, it, within all those definitions, there were, you know, some themes that came through. Um, and what came through was that it was around sort of codes and con codes of conduct and way of thinking, um, you know, sort of a, a collective thinking and grouping uh, of ideas um, to reach a, a prescribed sort of outcome. Uh, or output um, and actually within the workplace it can re it can be simplified um, as the way we do things around here um, so you know all of the complexity we can simplify is simply you know the way we do things around here but in terms of looking at health and safety culture the the, the first definition was developed um, from the advisory committee on the safety of nuclear installations after the Chernobyl disaster um, and they defined uh, safety culture uh, of an organization being the product of individual and group values attitudes competencies and patterns of behavior that determine the commitment to and the style and proficiency of an organization's health and safety program so that's really important if we break down those elements so we've got the product of individual and group values, attitudes, competencies, so that's important as well, and patterns of behaviour. So, you know, not just values and attitudes and competencies, but also patterns of actual behaviour that then determine the commitment and the style and proficiency of the organisation's health and safety programme. So there are a number of key elements that come through. And the key kind of thing to understand that that breaks down to is that culture is a, a combination of the person, individuals, 
the job, so the work, the activity, the, uh, you know, that's going on, um, but then also the the organisation and the way, you know, the the mission, the values, the beliefs, um, the actions of the organisation as a as a whole. And the other thing that's probably just worth mentioning is sometimes, you know, we, we're talking about safety culture, but sometimes the term safety climate is used and safety climate is much more focused, if you like, on, on the person element. Um, and that's where it tends to sit, whereas culture is really recognising that these other factors are important as well. So why is culture important um, and why do we seek um, a, a maturity, a progression um, in terms of the culture of an organisation. And this, this graph gives us an indication of, of why that is. So um, sort of uh, towards the more immature, what we, we term in BSI emerging cultures, what you see is a, an organisation that has very high incident rates um, and their focus is just on complying with the law, minimum legal compliance. Um, and then they'll, they'll focus on the, the, the safety elements and particularly sort of, you know, um, mechanical safety. So making sure that there's guards on machines, for instance, um, and they won't be investing in in any or very little um, dedicated safety resource, you know, either in terms of people or training, for instance. Um, and they'll, you know, even those limited activities will drive some improvements in terms of um, safety performance and incident rates will start to um, decrease. But then they'll, they'll, they'll plateau um, and the organisation um, will, you know, will go through an, a number of different uh, scenarios. You know, they, they may have a very serious accident um, and, and be prosecuted. Um, they may grow rapidly um, and realise that actually in order to manage health and safety effectively, they, they need a more robust framework. Um, you know, they, they may be looking to become more competitive and bid for more work. And actually, you know, the, the clients that they, they want to work for actually are demanding that they they have a more robust health and safety management system. So about uh, sort of you know for various reasons and drivers, an organisation will look to uh, sort of move up into the next level of cultural maturity, um, and we call that established. And it's at this this stage that you know quite often a, a safety management system is introduced, a framework to help drive consistency and efficiency around um, the management of health and safety. There'll be um, some resourcing for safety, so either some dedicated health and safety advisors or managers or and or, you know, much more dedicated training um, in terms of upskilling people in terms of the competency of health and safety. A key kind of component of, of this stage of maturity is there's a lot of data you know, and everything's being reported on. Um, but it also, it tends to be lagging, what we call lag, lagging, which are re, is reactive data. So, you know, the, the classic is the reporting on lost time incidents. So, you know, how, how many people are you hurting and how often? Um, and the focus will be on worker behaviour. You know, well, we've got a management system and we've we've got, um, you know, permits to work in place and we've got standard operating procedures. Why aren't the workers, you know, following those? So that tends to be the focus. And again, you know, e even, um, you know, they'll 
those improvements will will drive an improvement in terms of health and safety performance so again you'll get this you know notable notable reduction in terms of health and safety incidents but then there are plateau um, and organizations quite often get frustrated with that plateauing because they're saying well hang on a minute you know we've got this health and safety management system we've invested some health and safety management resourcing um, you know we've got rules that people should be following um, you know what why aren't we getting this further improvement and it's uh, generally around this time that the concept of culture starts to be reflected upon um, and the, the need to look at the organisation um, culture in more detail and the need to have a more robust and consistent leadership commitment to create um, a trust and shared value. And that basically becomes around a much more people-centred approach to the organisation. And again, that will drive improvement. But with all of these things, it's not static. You know, you need to drive continual improvement. Otherwise, it will simply plateau. Or worse still, actually, if you don't have that commitment and continual drive for improvement, you can actually move the other way um, and, and start to um, go back and, and decrease in terms of your, your health and safety performance. So that's kind of explains the maturity, but you know what it, what comes with that. So I think it's it's important to understand that you know at each of those stages there are some real challenges that organisations face. I've touched it kind of at the beginning of the journey. You you know likely to see high injury and incident rates. You know that's likely to be reflected in difficulties with with recruitment of, and retention of you know all, all staff. Um, you know, the, it can also have impacts in terms of um, quality and, and consistency um, because, you know, think if you think about it, you know, the, the quality of your product or your service is driven by the people who are delivering it, you know, and if they don't feel that they are being looked after, if they are not happy and healthy, then actually, you know, that will have an impact on productivity and quality. And you'll see that in terms of morale. And then you'll see that come through in terms of customer complaints. Um, and that can then have an impact on kind of the reputation of your business and the um, ability to secure new work. So as we move into established, um, what tends to happen, you know, is it the, the, the improvements that are brought in by the resourcing and the introduction of safety management system do drive really great improvements in terms of injury and absence rates. You know, we see this, you know, really notable um, improvement um, or decline in the numbers and, and frequency, um, but they do plateau. Um, and I said, you know, that's often drives this frustration. There can be uh, some challenges in terms of um, attracting and retaining key skills that the organisation needs, um, particularly to, you know, maybe drive growth and innovation. Um, and that can be a real challenge. You know, they'll, they'll quite often start to be looking at their supply chain because they recognise the importance of that. But there'll be challenges in terms of the, the effective management of that. And because the organisation has implemented this framework of the safety management system and it becomes very focused on that. And I said, you know, you have permits to work and safe operating procedures. It becomes quite risk adverse um, and it comes quite rigid. Um, so it loses that ability to be um, agile. 
and if you think back to the 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 tension quadrant then you know that's where that risk starts to come in in terms of the resilience of the organization because it's not agile enough um and you know that can have impacts in terms of attracting investment if it's not seen as innovative and then even, you know, organizations that are, are moving towards the top end of, of cultural maturity, you know, they still have challenges, which is why the continual improvement is so important. You know, we have, um, you know, increased uh, absence in term from stress and mental ill health, um, which can then lead to worker presenteeism. And if you're not um, familiar with the term presenteeism, then um, it's about um, individuals, workers who come to work, but they are not physically or mentally well. Um, but they come to work because, you know, maybe they're concerned about job security or it's, again, there's a there's a you've got to be seen culture. Um, and, you know, again, that can have an impact on productivity because you've got people who are in, um, but they're not working to to the best of their ability. You get a lot of complacency. Um, towards health and safety incidents and and and, and possible um, prosecution and litigation at, at this end of the scale, you know you, you've got organisations and you know they haven't had a serious accident for a very long time, you know and they're very much in the framework of yay you know we've got it right we've cracked it it's brilliant you know we're 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 absolutely right on in terms of our health and safety management. Um, but that's you know not necessarily the case. Um, so you get this complacency. And you get still talent and, and de development and, and plateau growth that comes with that. And, and again, because you haven't got that kind of talent coming through, you, you're often in a, in a situation where your organisation um, lacks innov innovation. But of course, the flip side is that if you start to move along this maturity, there are opportunities for your organization as you enhance your culture. So again, if we start in, on the emerging, then of course you get re reduced costs, operational costs, because your productivity and your quality are better. You're avoiding prosecution or litigation because of non-compliance. Um, you know, you start to see improvements in terms of efficiency and you know that Im obviously improves your brand and then your ability to win work. If we move into established, um, you know, you because of the framework that you implement at this stage, you have a much more proactive risk management. Um, so it's much more about prevention rather than mitigation. And you know, you'll you'll get the enhancements that come with good um, brand reputation and growth and innovation that comes with that. Um, and your strength and corporate memory and learning, because within that framework, there is a, you know, an element in terms of learning from incidents and, and looking for improvements. And then at the, at the top end, um, you know, you become much more effective in terms of that horizon scanning element. Um, you know, you you're, you have a very strong brand and therefore competitive within the market, which means that then you're in a much better place um, in terms of getting um, investment, particularly investors that are looking for ethical investment, which is becoming more and more impo important. Um, and it facilitates continual improvement. But the, the key thing about going on this cultural journey and, and why um, progressing towards a positive culture is so important is that it starts to build resilience within your organization. So in the established phase, 
the frameworks and the activities that are going on to improve your culture will start to develop organizational resilience. As you continue that journey, you will only enhance and increase organizational resilience. So it's really important component to um, resilience is improving the culture. And many of you um, who are health and safety professionals will be familiar with the Parker Hudson model, which is the traditional model um, of safety culture maturity. And just bear with Excuse me, my, uh, my voice was going, so I need a quick sip of water. Um, and the Parker Hudson model and, and a lot of cultural maturity models are focused on the cultural maturity of the of the or the of the maturity of the safety management system so it looks at um, where you are in maturity but just in the context of that middle piece um, that we talked about in terms of being established because it just looks at the management system um, but i'm i'm a fan of this model which is the safety culture maturity model, because this is focused on behaviours. And if you remember back to our definition of culture, it's about behaviours, about attitudes. Um, uh, and that's then, then obviously that reflects in terms of behaviours. So this comes from um, a piece of work that was done in the UK um, by the health and safety regulator and also a, a number of leading industry bodies. And, and actual um, industries, particularly from high hazard industries like oil and gas. But actually the, the model for behavior maturity comes from the technology sector. They have a, a capability um, maturity model. Um, and again, that's focused on behavior. So it's an adaptation of something that works very effectively for the technology industry about focusing on, on behaviors. And again, you can see that you can move through maturity in terms of, of those behaviors. Um, and you know, as you as you reinforce and create those behaviors, you improve the, the culture of the organization. So I'm just looking at checking time check. So one of the things that is important to understand about this, um, this uh, safety culture maturity model is there are 10 key elements that um, are make up the model. So sort of if we're thinking about breaking it down again. So the first and foremost is management commitment and visibility. And then you need trust, communication, participation. You need a good and understood balance between productivity and safety. You need to be a learning organization. You need to have safety resources. You know, you need to have that there in order to deliver it. You need to have shared perceptions around safety. You need good industrial relations and job satisfaction. And you need the competency and the capability to make it all work. So that's where training comes in. So these are the key components. And each of those, again, is kind of broken down into activities that need to be carried out in terms of developing and going on that maturity model. And again, you know, this is a big subject to be covering in a webinar, so it's only a, a flavor of it. But one of the things that's that's worth noting is that the um, the technical committee of experts that developed the new international standard on occupational health and safety, one of the key things that they did was to take the opportunity in the development of that management system to embed culture 
and those elements that are needed for a good culture into the management system. So again, if you think back to the, the graph that I showed you in terms of that cultural maturity and, you know, in the middle organisations implement a management system, but they don't start thinking about culture until the, the last accelerating point, then actually what ISO 45 did was bringing culture much earlier into an organization's thinking because it is so important in terms of, of driving improve, improvements. So it is embedded into 45001. And I'll just take you through and give you a flavour about how that happens against these 10 elements of the safety culture um, maturity model that I showed. So you can see the ones that are highlighted here. Well, they're reflected in the leadership and worker participation. Um, clauses and requirements in 45001 and there's a dedicated clause around communication because that's important as well you know so leadership and, and worker participation that's that's the management commitment and visibility and the participation of the workers um, and those two together so the the management commitments the participation and the trust three elements that you know that's what um, comes together to drive culture and then that needs to be then underpinned by communication um, and that will create your shared perceptions around safety um, and improve industrial relations and job satisfaction but also what I've done on the right there is just highlight those elements of our organizational resilience um, model that I shared right at the beginning um, because you start to see that there's a very clear relationship between culture and resilience. So we've got leadership, we've got vision and purpose, which is around shared perceptions and the trust and commitment, um, alignment, so again, shared perceptions, stakeholder engagement, so that's your participation of, of your workforce and um, um, you know, wider um, stakeholders like contractors that you may be engaging with, and of course, underpinned by the governance and accountability structure. So productivity versus safety. Well, this is reflected in um, clause four, which is called context. Um, and that's really, you know, the, the, the mission and the vision and the values of the organisation, um, the purpose of the organisation. Um, and so that comes through very clearly. And again, if we look at the organisational resilience um, framework, we've got vision and purpose. You know, where's the, where's the risk appetite for the organisation? So reputation risk and of course you know what are the financial aspects what are the financial drivers and where the balance is so you, is it a learning organization so in 45001 you've got management of change which is really focused on learning from change um, you've got management review so a key component of that is is looking and learning from lessons and of course improvement is all about continual improvement and you won't get that unless you learn from your mistakes or look at those opportunities for learning and again you know it's reflected in the in the organizational resilience as well um, resilience framework as well safety resourcing you've got to have the resources there so again it's one of the specific requirements of leadership to make sure that they they have the resourcing that is needed um, there are elements of resourcing within worker participation there's actually a whole dedicated clause on, on resourcing and again the, the management review, there is a requirement within there to look and review to make sure that resourcing is appropriate. 
And again, within the organizational resilience framework, we've got resource management as a key factor. And of course, that's underpinned or uh, uh, impacted um, by financial aspects. And of course, our, our last area then is around um, training. So the comp competency and capability of, of individuals. Um, and again, that's reflected in, in leadership and, and worker participation um, within 45,001. And also, again, a dedicated clause of competency. And within the organisational resilience framework, finally, um, we have a dedicated element looking at awareness and training. So that gives you a really kind of quick un, uh, introduction to uh, a framework for organisational resilience and for uh, a culture of an organisation. You can see that they are absolutely intertwined and related to each other. I thought I'd just take the opportunity to um, put up a, a little beware of zero accident cultures. Um, and this is really common, um, particularly within the built environment and particularly within sort of more construction orientated organisations that they will have a, a zero accident target or culture associated with them. And the key thing with that is, you know, what about health and what about well-being? I know I've been talking about safety culture because that's kind of where the model comes from, but it does incorporate health and well-being. It is a much broader culture. But where organizations, you know, have a zero accident, you know, accident is about injury, I would argue, and it doesn't talk about health and it doesn't talk about broader well-being issues. The other thing is it becomes much more of a kind of a, a boardroom slogan rather than a, a way of acti actively engaging the workforce. You know, so, so, so zero accident. Well, you know, what does that actually mean for the people on the ground? You know, what does that look like? What difference does it make on their day to day activity that is going on? The other thing, and which is probably one of the most important things to understand with these sorts of um, ambitions, is that it doesn't uh, take into account that there are it, the phrase used on this slide is tribes, um, but there aren't there are different components, different bits of the business and quite often what happens is they're quite competitive so if you remember right at the start and the sort of the 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 definitions of culture it reflected that there are different groups um, and they can those different groups can have subcultures if you like um, and, comp and competitiveness is is one of those um, and you know what you can tend to see with the with this sort of um, uh, ambition is that um, it will drive improvement for a little bit it. But as as the numbers start to get lower, um, if one bit of the business has a has an accident, they'll hide it because they don't want to be seen to be the bit of the business that's you know had an incident or you know there's this competition with other bits of the business. So it actually drives um, health and safety underground and has a really negative impact on people. And of course, relatedly, it's it's virtually impossible to achieve. Of course, it is absolutely morally the right thing to do to ensure that, the, you know, that people who come to work at the beginning of each day, that they go home um, as fit and, and as healthy as, as they did when they started. Absolutely the right thing to do. But it you know, it is practically impossible. And, you know, there are real challenges with that. And, and the key thing in terms of understanding that impossibility is, of course, 
as soon as there is an incident, it completely undoes all the good work that may have been up to that point. Um, and, you know, it's really um, disengaging for people. You know, you see it a lot of, on, on construction sites, you know, two, 264 days since our, since our last accident. You know, well, if the accident happens on the 265th day, it can be really de demotivating for everybody involved. So it is important to understand that context. And it does become this kind of um, outcome uh, as opposed to motivating vision for the organization. So again, um, it's it, if we think back to that culture and that need for a shared perception, um, it, it doesn't become that. You know, it's something something that's created by by the board or senior or, uh, senior people within the organization, and it doesn't engage and, and doesn't resonate with workers. So it's just worth reflecting on that when we're when we're talking about culture so before we we get towards the end and, and have some time for questions I just wanted to um, flag up that in terms of the the ten elements that were created with the original safety culture maturity model that I've introduced you today um, uh, uh, I have added these two elements into BSI's um, model of culture and maturity so that it starts with those 10 elements but it adds two additional ones so it adds um, very clearly and explicitly health and well-being um, but then also monitoring and reporting because those two elements are uh, as important to the overall culture of the organization so if we just look at the the, the health and safe health safety and well-being elements you know in emerging the focus is on safety and there'll be very little focus on on health um, physical mental or cognitive in established we do get that focus on on physical health so you know a focus on on dust or dermatitis or musculoskeletal disorders for instance um, but there'll be very little focus on on mental health but in accelerating you get that move to make sure that all of those elements are incorporated into the health and safety culture of the organization and so you know physical mental and cognitive health and safety is proactively managed so that just gives you kind of a little flavor um, but if you want to explore those more then you have an opportunity to in due course and I will let Charlotte explain what that is Thank you, Kate. Yes, just to say uh, before we come to our Q&A session, um, I'd like to share with those of you who might not be aware about this, because this is coming down the line, um, that Kate has played a, a real role in sharing more of her insight with us, together with some other industry experts, um, and contributed to a brand new report that you can see on the screen there called The New World of Construction. Um, it explores a number of, of key topics that uh, are, you know, prominent and pertinent for people today um, and we also are offering people the chance to take part in a, um, a maturity quiz so you can see um, exactly where your organization is. We'll, uh, Kate has designed this especially for um, those who work in construction and uh, lots of good questions so on the back of that you would then find uh, a, a, get an indication of how mature your health safety and well-being um, situation is in your organization so please have a look out for that um, and if you would like a copy then um, as we launch our final poll um, that is an option for you so 
we're very much here to, to help you and to support. Um, and we want to know if there's anything that we can do to uh, help you with right now um, or when the time is right. So the on the screen, as you can see, these are um, the options that, uh, that we help all sorts of organisations all over the world with health and safety standards and subscription services. Um, we uh, help people train either themselves or um, their, their supply chains. Certification, so we can offer uh, independent certification of your health, safety and wellbeing um, management system. Uh, consultancy, of course, for those specialist uh, requirements that you may have. And then finally, um, your copy of the New World of Construction report, which is going to be hot off the press uh, very, very soon. So um, I'll leave that on the screen just in case we want to mull that over a little bit more. And um, I think we're now going to come into our Q&A session. So uh, for, for Kate, we do have a few questions that have come in. Um, and one that uh, has come in, which I think just seems to me like a logical place to start, really because it is about starting, um, is um, in order to develop a, a positive culture, where should you start? <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's a that's a great question. Um, the 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 simple answer is it starts at the top. Um, you've got to have management commitment to to go on this journey in terms of improving culture. Um, so you've got to have the the commitment from the top. But the the other element is actually then the worker engagement um, because it's it's those two elements together that then create trust. And if you if you recall back to the model that they they are the first three components. Uh, well, actually, communications in there as well. But they are the first real really important steps in terms of creating a culture so yeah absolutely it starts at the top but you need to get good and early engagement with your with your workforce and and broader stakeholders you know don't don't forget particularly contractors where we're, we're thinking about some of the complexities of, of um, the built environment you need that engagement to 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 start to move towards that that trust absolutely and and thinking again about um, our audience today um a, a, another question which could be a bit of a challenging one is how do you measure a positive culture so any, any uh, thoughts on that for uh, for our guests today yeah it's 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 not super straightforward um there are you know you, you you can do some early benchmarking you know the 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 quiz that you can take part um uh when it's launched shortly is a is a really simplistic version um of a, a benchmarking tool in terms of asking some questions and having a score associated with that and and then giving you a sort of a, a, a an out, a outcome in terms of what that means for your maturity you obviously get much more complex versions of those questionnaires um you know, and they drill down into much more detail, you know, so that sort of survey um, approach. But the, the thing to bear in mind with, with all of those is that they they kind of give you a, an indication, which is a great place to start, because it, as we've seen, it's it's a complex area to start to understand. And it, it gives you an, uh, an idea of what we might call hotspots. So areas where you need to look at in more detail. So you might find actually that actually there's a hotspot around trust there seems to be an issue there or actually there's a, a competency area issue training issue so it gives you somewhere to start in terms of looking at in more detail 
But that next step is really important, the detail. So you really need to, to go to the next level, which is start to have um, structured focus groups or interviews to start to unpick what that is. Because, you know, if we think about something like trust, a, a questionnaire type approach might identify that you have an issue with trust, but what does that actually mean? Where is the problem? You know, um, and you need to be able to unpick that and you can only do that through, as I say, focus groups and, and questionnaires. So, you know, if you really want to understand culture, then that's the, that's that's the journey that you need to go on. Absolutely. So it's quantitative, but also very important qualitative as well Absolutely. as getting getting that anecdotal face-to-face -face, um, uh, feedback. Mm, very much so. Um, yeah. And uh, also, um, again, thinking about who we have today, uh, we have a question in on um, joint ventures. Uh, which obviously is a is a big thing um, for many people. Uh, so if you're working collaboratively on a joint venture, then um, does that throw up any any other areas that needs considering around uh, you know a positive culture or any any thoughts on how that could be tackled? Yeah, you're 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 right. I mean, um, you know, joint joint ventures can be hugely hugely complex. But that I mean, they the easiest way to think about it is that you know it's, it's they are for for the time frame that they are delivering, they become an organisation in themselves, and and that's the best way to to think about it. So you know, your your workers are all of your stakeholders who are involved. So all of the different um, you know, it's from the from the designer and principal contractor down through all, all the tiers of contractors they are all your workers they are all the stakeholders so you need to approach it in the in the same way as that framework of, of behaviors the cultural maturity model that I shared earlier um, you know you need to have the communication there you need to understand what the shared perceptions are in terms of health and safety you need to make sure that the competency is there you need to have the leadership engagement and commitment from all of the leaders from all of those organizations and come together so the the approach is the same it's just you know there is an ad added le level of complexity but it can be made to work and I think that's one of the things I think a lot of a lot of these big sort of and particularly see it sort of in infrastructure type projects but you know um, it can seem really daunting um, because you've got this complexity and not everybody's involved all of the time you have people come in and people um, you know go out at different phases of, of the project um, but there's actually a really good case study um, on, on this if you're not familiar with it. Um, and that's the uh, the British Olympic Park that was built um, a few years ago. Um, there was a, a real um, drive to, to make it the, the healthiest and the safest um, project that had ever been run in the in the UK um, and they you know they created a lot of case studies and a lot of information and, and so there's really good um, information on the, the health and safety executive website if you want to see what that looks like because it absolutely can be done and it can be done phenomenally well. Yeah it's a great example there thank you and uh, we've got a question in from Marina um, which is obviously around collaboration. Marina says, how does this, how can this link into ISO 44001 behaviours? So for those uh, who aren't familiar, um, that's the, uh, the International Standard for um, Collaborative uh, Relationships. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I have to, I have to say I'm I'm a I'm a really big fan of of, of that standard, um, because you know particularly when we're thinking about the, the, those complex pro, um, projects, then again having a structure and a framework about how you develop those relationships, what that looks like, and um, becomes really important. Um, and and the, and and, and um, uh, forty four thousand and one gives you that framework. But a key component, again, that comes with following that framework is it's about developing really effective communication, making sure that everybody has a shared perception about what the outcome of that of that partnership looks like, that there's a way of tackling any tensions. So that kind of, if you think about it, that's kind of like the industrial relations element of the, the cultural maturity that I talked about. So it absolutely becomes, you know, part and parcel. And, you know, if, if you're not familiar with it, then um, as I say, I'm, I'm a big fan, particularly for, the, for those complex projects, because it does give you that structure to help you understand those and un underpin them to make sure that there is, this shared perception and the trust is there for all the partners. Absolutely, and uh, we've seen a lot of people who work in con construction who are absolutely embracing um, that standard because of, again, I suppose joint ventures and uh, you know where you're bringing people together to uh, to try and deliver a, a shared goal, whatever that might be. So, yes, a really great question in there. Um, we have also had a question in um, around. Um, how long it does it take to embed cultural change, um, <laughs> which is probably a tough one? But uh, any uh, any ideas around that yeah. one? I mean, it's it it, it is. Um, you know, I can't give you a definitive answer because everybody's on a different journey. But I think one of the key things to un understand is that actually to to embed a a change in culture. Um, you you're looking at um, a minimum of three years and, and generally um, uh, five years before you actually see that cultural shift and that cultural change. Um, so, you know, it's not something that happens overnight. And, and the key point is, and I, I touched on this briefly um, earlier on in the presentation, is then you need to maintain that commitment and that drive for continual improvement because it's it's not a um it's not a one hit wonder it's it you know um it's not you've done it and that's it um you know you need to continue to work at it and if you don't have that commitment then as i've mentioned you know you can go back down the other way um towards that that poor and weaker culture Perfect. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, one last question in from Jerome, which I think I know we've run over, but I think it's this could be helpful for everybody who's also still with us um, is how shall I measure my resilience progress? Uh, so obviously we've talked about organisational resilience and we do have um, solutions which will help people do that. So um, that uh, that could be something that uh, we could follow up with you on directly, Jerome. But uh, any any thoughts on that, Kate? 
No, I mean you, you've covered it. We, you know, you you saw the the framework that um, has been developed for organisational resilience, and in exactly the same way that we would for culture, um, we can we can break that down into the components. So we we start with a with a kind of as as, as Charlotte said, the quantitative element. So we we can ask some 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 questions, do some surveys, some questionnaires to kind of give us a, a quantitative score and identify where there may be particular challenges, and then we can deep dive into those challenges through um, interviews and focus groups to, to start to unpick them um, and make sure that you're moving uh, in the right direction in terms of your resilience. Fantastic and I think as we have now um, we've got to the end of our questions so thank you for for everyone if we haven't answered them all I can see a couple more um, we will come back to you after after today's session so uh, I think um, we will close that poll obviously now um, and go on to the uh, the final slide so just um, to say that uh, today's webinar is actually part of a series um, that uh, that Kate and I have been working on. Great to have uh, Kate's insight on some other future topics. These are going to be running later in the year, so please do join us for these. Um, and again, we're going to be running them at different times to support different time zones. So we appreciate, you know, we're reaching people all over the world. So um, just to say. We've reached the end of today's session. Um, thank you, Kate, for, for presenting. Really enjoyed listening to everything you've had to say about the relationship between a positive culture and building resilience and how closely aligned these are. Um, and I'd like to thank our audience. Thank you very much for, for taking part in our polls um, and for joining us. And we hope that you found some, some solid steps to, uh, to consider around culture and to share with others in your organization as you move forward. So thank you very much to everybody. Thank you.